Young people are responsible for a lot of the new COVID-19 cases popping up all around the country. This weekend is the 51st anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. We're taking you through the details of what happened that historic night. And Elle Hearns joins to talk about Marsha P. Johnson, the namesake of the institute that she founded, and the trans rights movement since Stonewall. The date, June 26, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. We've got a special Pride Month episode for you today, taking a look at the history and impact of the Stonewall Riots. But first, the TLDR, the day's biggest news stories brought to the top of your feed. One, the latest spike in coronavirus infections in the U.S. is affecting young people more than ever, with people under 40 making up a record number of cases. Yesterday marked the highest daily number of new cases in the U.S., again, with almost 40,000 confirmed COVID-19 infections reported nationally. And as bars and other venues in the U.S. have reopened, young people have helped send that number soaring. The New York Times reports that in Arizona, where the hospitals are filling up fast, almost half of the new cases are people between the ages of 20 to 44. The same is true for Florida, where the median age of people testing positive for COVID has plunged from 65 down to 35. The surge is throwing a wrench in states' plans to get people out of their houses and back to work. Texas announced today that it's rolling back some of its reopening schedule in response to the uptick, reclosing bars and scaling back access to restaurants again. Two, the Trump administration is asking the Supreme Court to get rid of Obamacare, all of it, in a new filing. A major part of the Affordable Care Act is the individual mandate, which says people must have insurance. In 2017, Congress passed a tax reform bill that struck down the financial penalty but left the mandate in place. Late last night, the Department of Justice filed a brief related to two cases that are currently before the Supreme Court, saying that the whole law needs to be undone as a result. They argue that the individual mandate is unconstitutional since Congress doesn't have the power to impose it without the financial penalty. That means it all needs to go, they claim, including the law's protections for people with pre-existing conditions being able to get insurance. Which, must say, seems kind of weird in the middle of a pandemic. And three. A town in Siberia that was previously known for having the coldest temperature ever on record reportedly hit 100 degrees Fahrenheit on Saturday. Yet, there's a heat wave in the Arctic and we need to be talking about it more. According to the New York Times, towns where people normally ride around on snowmobiles this time of year are instead facing 80 degree days and people are covering their windows with foil to block out the blazing sun at midnight. This is coupled with a severe decrease in sea ice in the Arctic, which is at its second lowest level ever recorded, and 2020 is set to be the warmest year on record. The Arctic as a whole is warming faster and faster as the ice and snows melt, revealing dark land underneath that that then draws more heat. And that in turn lets the permafrost melt, causing flooding and releasing even more trapped greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. He's literally everything you just said has scared me so much. There's not one thing that didn't scare me. I'm really sorry. This is not a light, fun Friday news update, Casey. It just isn't. (sighs) It's not. And now with the Supreme Court trying to get rid of Obamacare and all these 20-somethings that could potentially be carrying COVID, I'm like, wear your freaking mask. Everyone wear a mask, okay? Everyone. I'm so glad that the bars are closing back down because people are going out to parties and they're drinking and they are spreading coronavirus. Please stop everyone. 
Yeah, uh. I'm about to become one of those people who's like on the street. And if I see someone who's not wearing it, I'm going to be like, put a mask on. I'm going to do it. On sight, except for masks. <laughs> okay, Casey, what's going on in your corner of the internet? Well, first off, YouTuber Jenna Marbles announced yesterday that she's leaving her channel probably forever. Marbles channel has over 20 million subscribers, and her videos were some of the most popular on YouTube for a while, racking up more than 3 billion views. But in her latest video, which might be her last video, she said that she's made most of her old content private after fans asked her to address a video where she impersonated Nicki Minaj while in blackface, and then other problematic videos she's made in the past. Now, it's hard for that content to exist at all because... I think people watch it and don't bother to look at when it was posted or, you know, care about what path I took to get to where I am. Um, it offends them now. And if that's the case where people will watch something and be offended now, I don't want it to exist. Marbles left the door open to maybe one day return to YouTube, but first she wants to quote, make sure the things that I put into the world are not hurting anyone. That totally makes sense like i gotta say for jenna marbles is one of the first like youtubers as like an adjective that i ever was really aware of and as far as youtuber like apologies go not bad not bad right exactly i was taking the temperature online about what the reaction was to this and most people are like applauding her for like hey you're handling this well in terms of realizing you've done something problematic and then stepping up and i mean that's more Compared to like most other YouTubers and the apologies that have happened for their problematic videos. And the list could go on and on there. <laughs> oh, also, Unilever announced yesterday that they would be dropping the name Fair and Lovely from their skin lightening products. Unilever is one of several major companies that have been called out for posting messages in support of Black Lives Matter's protests while still selling skin lightening creams. Those products, including Fair and Lovely, are part of a multi-billion dollar market that is only growing as skincare companies expand into countries like India, Indonesia, China, Nigeria, and Ghana. Yesterday, as part of a Fair and Lovely rebranding announcement, the president of beauty and personal care at Unilever, Sunny Jane, said, quote, we recognize that the use of the words fair, white, and light suggest a singular ideal of beauty that we don't think is right, and we want to address this as we're evolving the way that we communicate the skin benefits of our products that deliver radiant and even-toned skin. It's also important to change the language we use. So what I just heard there is, we're still selling the fuck out of these skin lightning creams. Please continue to buy them whenever we pick a new name. <laughs> yes, you heard very correctly. I mean, if they have a multi-billion dollar market in all of these different countries, I assume they will continue to have that market just with a different name. And it's interesting that now they're saying that, oh, no, this is all just about evening out skin tone, making sure people don't feel blotchy, etc. When I don't think that's why people have been buying them. I am just pretty sure that's not the situation. Yeah, a history of these types of products tell us otherwise. When we come back, we're diving into the history of Stonewall and its legacy. Be right back. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. 
support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. The NFL is back and the NFL app has you covered. So get ready for football all season long and just tap into the NFL app. NFL, baby, let's make it happen. Just tap in to watch your local and primetime games all season. Now through Super Bowl 56. For the end zone, touchdown! Get up to the minute news, videos, highlights, stats, and more on all your favorite teams and rookies to watch. Welcome to the NFL. Download to your mobile device today at NFL.com slash mobile or in your app store. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. The NFL Podcast Network is your home for all things football. Do you love hearing analysis around the league with a touch of mirth? Or maybe you enjoy breaking down X's and O's in the college scouting scene. Do you breathe, sleep, and eat fantasy football? Perhaps you love the funny headlines that emerge each week. What if you want in-depth news coverage with reporters? Or what if you want to know exactly how each team got its name? Well, you're in luck because the NFL Podcast Network has a show for everybody. Our vast network has the NFL's best talent bringing you right into the action each week. There's always room to add more football into your podcast rotation, and our vast group of shows will surely keep you up to date with everything you need to know surrounding the National Football League. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. This weekend is the 51st anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, which have come to be seen as an inflection point of the modern LGBTQ rights movement. But there's still people who don't really know what actually happened on those nights. So we're going to take you back in time all the way to 1969. You're in Greenwich Village on a warm June night. The Stonewall Inn down on Christopher Street is the gay bar in the city. Because of its mix of clientele, white, black, Hispanic, mostly people on the edges of society. Plus, it's one of the only bars that allows dancing, slow dancing even. It's the early morning hours of June 28th, around 1 a.m. The place is filled with the usual mix of men seeking the company of men, the flame queens with their teased hair and subtle makeup, some people in full drag, and some who identify as trans women all having a night out, about 200 people all told. Suddenly, the police are at the door. It's a raid. Raids happen all the time, usually once a month. Gay bars in general are frequent targets since it's nearly impossible for them to get liquor licenses as they are considered disorderly establishments. The Stonewall Inn is owned and operated by the mafia. They keep the doors open by calling the place a private bottle club and paying off the police weekly. So usually there's a heads up that a raid is coming. Not this time. Police start to separate out the people assigned male at birth who are wearing women's clothing. It's happened before, but this time something is different. Instead of turning over their IDs as usual and having a female officer check their sex, this night they refuse. So the police decide to take everyone down to the station. Everyone not under arrest is free to go, but instead of dispersing, they gather around the front door and wait. The police wagons that the cops used to confiscate the bar's alcohol are late, and the crowd is growing. Things are getting restless as patrons are eventually led out and into the wagons. People begin throwing pennies, dimes, beer bottles. Finally, one woman in handcuffs manages to break free a few times. As she's finally thrown into the wagon, she reportedly asks the crowd, why don't you do something? 
Boom. By that point, the crowd outnumbers the cops by hundreds, and they quickly try to free the people being held. And they're not willing to back down when the police try to disperse them, throwing bottles, garbage cans, whatever was on hand. Eventually, the police barricade themselves inside the Stonewall Inn, with several of the patrons still in handcuffs as they wait for backup. At one point, an uprooted parking meter becomes a battering ramp to try to break down the doors of the bar. When the riot police arrive, the assembled LGBTQ rioters are riled up and ready to mock them, at one point forming a chorus line complete with high kicks. The cops don't like that and move in with their batons, beating the crowd even as the crowd fights back. It's 4 a.m. before the streets are finally clear. It was only the first night of the Stonewall riots, which continued on to the following night. In the next days and weeks, those nights served as a spark for the gay rights movement around the country. The next year, the first Pride March was held, with attendees starting at the Stonewall Inn and making their way all the way up to Central Park. And every year since, on the anniversary of Stonewall, people have gathered around the world to remember those nights, celebrate their significance, and honor those who fought for LGBTQ rights. People like Marsha P. Johnson, a black trans organizer who was pivotal in the Stonewall uprising. Here to help us learn more about Marsha and current activism being done to continue her legacy is Elle Hearns. She is the founder and executive director of the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Elle, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you all so much for having me. We're going to get to Stonewall in a moment, but first, what can you tell us about Marsha P. Johnson, the person? Marsha P. Johnson, the person, was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant contributor to the world, to New York City, uh, to Black liberation, but most importantly to herself. She really gave us all a vision for what freedom and self-expression could look like. And she became really a symbolic model for her lifetime commitment to advocacy, whether it was during the Stonewall Rebellion or her own battles with her health, uh, her fight for HIV and AIDS to ensure that the resources were available to those who were battling those illnesses, whether it was the homeless, whether it was other trans women. She really gave her life to liberation and really, really believed in liberation for all people. And of course, Marsha was instrumental in the Stonewall riots. What can you tell us about her role in that movement? Yeah, I mean, I think there are many stories that have been told around the role that she played as a brick thrower and as someone who certainly was never going to be disrespected by the police or anybody. And so, you know, for Marsha, she was certainly fighting. She was fighting against the state, but she was fighting against all of the systems that really had been violent to her. So she was fighting back. And I think that for uh, a lot of us, we can relate to what that feels like to, to be positioned in the world where you have to constantly fight back. Marsha tragically passed away in 1992 and was found in the Hudson in what was then ruled a suicide, but later changed to an undetermined cause of death. Today, of course, the death and disappearance of trans people and particularly black trans people is very much still happening at an alarming rate. What, if anything, do you think has changed between Marsha's time and now on that front? The only thing that I think has changed is that the organizing of black trans people is now understood on a wide scale, that it has moved into being a topic of conversation. However, the solutions still feel very far and wide from being available to those who need it most. And so 
I, I think that anti-blackness in our culture and in our policies and in our government really enforces the realities of these murders and of the erasure and, um, you know, the constant challenges that black trans people are overcoming. So let's talk about your organization for a second, the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Why did you decide to start it? And uh, what would you say is your organization's main focus? Wow. I mean, what to say? I mean, I started this organization really at the beginning of my journey as an organizer. I've learned so much along the way that really has created the space for this organization to exist and for many more organizations to exist. You know, uh, in the seventies, Marsha founded star, which was one of the first known trans organizations in the world. And so for us, this institute is really a continuation of that work of those contributions that so many black trans women have made over the years to create a space for us to enter and to advocate for ourselves. So we work to protect and defend the human rights of black transgender people. And we saw that there was a great need and a deficit in our communities around the responses to not only these murders, but just the lack of resources. And so we really focus on prioritizing advocating and organizing towards solutions to improve our lives and the, the lives of our community. Um, so, you know, we are really focused at this time to providing monetary relief and support to black trans people who have been impacted by COVID. And so that's our number one priority is making sure that black trans people are able to survive not only this pandemic, but the pandemics that we've always known. We're in a moment right now where people are starting to become more aware of the idea of intersectionality and how the various struggles of marginalized groups overlap. But what do people who want to be active in this moment need to remember and consider? That allyship is really tired and performative and that we have to actually find a new way of being with each other so that we have lifelong relationships and lifelong results for more generations to come. So what we teach and what I teach at the Marsha P. Johnson Institute for our members and those who want to support our work and uh, supporting is collaborative solidarity, which really looks like educating yourself about the communities that you want to be in service to, that you want to lift up, um, and making sure that there's a platform to work collaboratively across the intersections. And so for us, it's really about a lifelong commitment to ensuring that justice and freedom is accessible and available to us all, but most importantly to the communities that have never had access to it. So a lot of us are still stuck in our homes uh, as COVID-19 continues to, you know, ravage the country. How do you think we can and should be celebrating pride in this moment and honoring Marsha's legacy as the month closes out? I think that we have to consistently remember that pride was a celebration of our rage uh, more than anything, it was a riot. And so while we all are at home, I think it's important to understand that the protests and the resistance that you're seeing in the streets is protest and resistance that you certainly can contribute to, whether you join people in the streets, which Marsha was most famously known for saying, come out of your, your glass houses and into the streets with the people, or you could donate to support the people who are in the streets, whether that's supporting a bail fund or supporting a COVID relief effort. 
people are literally sacrificing their own comfort and possibilities around their own lives to ensure that all of us have access to something that certainly will benefit us when COVID is over or when there's a solution uh, to, to that pandemic. But police violence, which, which Stonewall was about, was about police brutality towards LGBTQ people. But what's important to note is that Stonewall was happening during the civil rights movement. So there's no way to disconnect the experiences that black trans and queer people were also having with the police and with racism during that time. So, you know, pride is a riot. And, and, and I think it's so important to figure out the ways that you can riot from your home, whether that's joining a digital rally, supporting an organization by uplifting them on social media and promoting their work, or even just educating yourself. We all have a responsibility to make sure that the injustices we're seeing happening globally, that we aren't staying mute about them and that we're actually utilizing our voices and all of the privileges that we all have in the world to make sure that there's a change and there's a stop to certain things happening continuously. Elle, thank you so much for joining us and happy Pride. Thank you so much. Black love. That's it for today. Join us next Monday when we talk with Megan Hatcher Mays about the push for D.C. statehood. And remember, Pride isn't just about parades. It's a riot. Music Clock is produced by Dan Bowser, Hiba Elorbani, Alan Haberchak, and Sierra Tall. Special thanks to Tracy Ayers, Mangesh Atikader, Samantha Hennig, Patrick McMenamin, and Tommy Wesley. Be sure to subscribe to Music Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Socks are the number one most requested item at homeless shelters. Underwear second and shirts are third. At Bombas, socks were first, made with comfortable details for everyday wearing. Then underwear and shirts too, all designed to perfectly fit. At Bombas, every item you purchase means you're donating an essential clothing item to someone in need. One comfortable clothing item for you, one donated to someone in need. Bombas, comfort for all. Get 20% off your purchase at bombas.com slash comfy. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635-635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council.